Hey everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Was That Really Necessary? The podcast where we take a look at remakes, reboots, sequels, and prequels, and ask the titular question, was that really necessary? Here with me always is my lovely and talented co-host, Paul Abishan. How are you now? Oh, blushing. I'm blushing, but I'm great. I'm great. Oh, that's good to hear. We are coming from you live from both of our homes because COVID, you know, that's, that's how this works. Uh, so we get to record via the wonders of the internet. We don't even get to see each other. Maybe we should try to hook something up with that next time. Yeah, we gotta we gotta think of something. Yeah, we'll figure I miss, something. I miss, out. The, I miss the facial expressions. It's a it's a big part of doing the fun of doing this. It does it does actually help with like being able to play off of each other too. So if this one seems a little weird, well, I mean, isn't that just kind of how this goes? And we finally decided, you know what, 2020 was a strange year for everyone. Fuck this. Let's get back and do what we do best, um, which is whine about things. But also we should record it and make it into a podcast. So yeah. let's see if we can do that. <laughs> so if nobody remembers exactly how this works, uh, or maybe you just haven't listened to this and you're picking it up right now because, well, why not? It's a weird year. Uh, what we do is we actually take a look at a couple of movies. We watch one that is an original and then one that ends up being a remake or a reboot. Or maybe it's a, a prequel or a sequel that just took a long time, like 10 or so years in between movies to try to get off the ground. And then we discuss and try to figure out you know, how they compare to each other. And if it was you know, a good passion project for a director to bring this, revive, revive this, you know, this wonderful thing that they have. Or if it was just a pure cash cash grab where they're like, hey, remember that um, 80s thing that everybody loves? We should do that again. Today, we are going to discuss The Mummy. And there have been a lot of iterations of this. So I specifically chose the 1999 Mummy starring Brendan Fraser and the 2017 Mummy starring Tom Cruise. Um, Paul, do you have any initial thoughts on these two movies before we dive into them? I think this week was a love hate relationship. Um, it was it was definitely a love hate relationship. We're de- we're gonna get into that uh, in so many levels, but this was this was fifty percent fun. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the, that's the best way, the nicest way that I'm gonna put it. It was fifty percent fun. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess on that note, let's dive into the discussion around the 1999 The Mummy. So. Um, I don't know about you, Paul. I, I'll figure I'll just start this off with some of my feelings on this. Uh, I I loved this movie when it first came out. I just thought this was like so much fun. I was in full Brendan Fraser mode. Um, you know, seeing Encino Man was my introduction. I think it was everybody's introduction to him. And then I just, you know, liked him. He wasn't like my favorite or anything like that, but he just entertained me. It never seemed like I saw him do bad work. So I was just kind of like, yeah, let's go see this mummy thing. I'm kind of into horror, as everybody knows. And it was like, a fun movie, right? It just was entertaining. So I decided, yeah, we should, we should do this on the podcast. Cause I want to talk about, you know, Brendan Fraser and all kinds of weird stuff that goes along with that. <laughs> I mean, this was, this was America's nineties golden boy. This was Brendan fricking Fraser people. He was not only Encino man, but he was in just, some some really good drama movies as well um he's just kind of that all-around actor for me he's Mm -hmm. he's really good looking he's got humor he just like you said always seemed like a nice guy well and i you know i i liked him a lot in his 90s starring roles and everything like that and then if you push out a little bit later i was a huge fan of the show scrubs still am actually uh in general and he has some great uh guest spots on that you know i think he appeared in whatever two or three episodes and i just you know it seemed like every time i saw him pop up i was just like yeah he's 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 weirdly captivating to watch like you said he's good looking he's charismatic as hell he's just like fun like you know I mean, you you look at his if you look at his track record, you have Encino Man. That was his first welcome mm-hmm. to everybody's living room. Mm-hmm. Then follow right up with that was School Ties. Like oh, you man. have you have the goofball Encino Man. Then you go to a dark drama like School Ties, and don't even get me started with the cast he had in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you jump right back into he you know jumped into Son in Law for he played Link for like two seconds. <laughs> But That's then right. in the same year puts out with honors, which is my purse. That is my personal favorite Brendan Fraser movie. Um, okay. I, I just 
I I love it. I think it's a great story. I think Joe Pesci mm. um, is great in this comedy drama, lighthearted Joe Pesci. It, you know, right, totally right, different right. from what we know. But then goes and does Airheads. Oh, and I got Airheads. And <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> in one year, he did. He had with honors Airhead and The Scout. Again, another great Brendan Fraser 80s comedy movie where he plays Steve Nebraska with this fast arm. Um, but then, <laughs> you know, Albert Brooks plays this scout. Anyway, it's it, it's Brendan Fraser, man. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, and you bring up, I didn't even remember that he was in Son-in-Law as Link. He's in, in the Army now, too, as, as Link. Link. Just like, yeah, I just, I keep forgetting that he pops up in all these Pauly Shore movies, which Pauly Shore, what a, what a 90s fucking flash in the pan that was thank god (laughs) i think it's for me it's something about his eyes yeah he has these very very soft eyes Mm -hmm. um there was one very expressive too like he can do a lot with those eyes (laughs) and i know we're talking about the mummy and i think i've mentioned every brendan frazier movie except the mummy so far (laughs) um he had a a a very very uncredited scene in a movie called now and then Mm -hmm. um rosie o'donnell i would just um christina ricci but he played this vietnam veteran and again it was just that character that you see in passing drops this bomb knowledge of truth and then you never see him or hear from him again but it Mm -hmm. was just this really good scene um if you haven't watched the movie i please do Mm -hmm. but i mean brendan frazier has I mean, from 1992 until basically 2002, 2008 is just every year this guy was pumping out big movies. Right. Well, and then, you know, to top it all off, we obviously, okay, let's let's establish this now. I think we can both safely say we like Brendan Fraser. I, uh, I, yes. I, will, I will go on record as saying that. Then uh, you throw out there, you know, some of the rest of the cast, you have like Rachel Weiss. So- what I'd like to what what are your thoughts on Rachel Weiss? What do you, what do you think about her? The only movie that I truly like her in is this movie. I'm I can't say I'm I'm against her. I'm indifferent, but if I if you said pick your favorite Rachel Weiss movie, it's The Mummy hands down. Um, I I was curious what you'd say. I almost have the exact same words in my mind of just like, I don't think I like her. I don't dislike her, but I don't think I like her in anything but these movies. Like she's actually pretty entertaining in them, even in like The Mummy Returns and to a lesser extent, The Tomb of the Dragon King, whatever that weird one was, which could almost be another entry in this because it was so weird and a soft reboot of the series. Anyway. <laughs> but this movie introduced us really to Arnold Oslo, who played Emotep. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, after this movie, he <laughs> he was he's, cast he's a as a generic bad guy, right? <laughs> gener- Unfortunately, he got cast to kind of typecast as like the generic terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this movie came out in 1991. Two years later, we he's had Middle Eastern looking, right? Like, <laughs> well, and that's something else that we're I'm definitely going to touch base on with this movie and even the other one. Um, not for a movie that's supposed to take place in Egypt, not a lot of Middle Eastern, Eastern African actors appear in this. In fact, one, uh, the gentleman who played Benji, mm-hmm. it, it, Kevin J. O'Connor. Um, great. I like him as a bit actor. I think he's he's great. And Stephen Summers does, too, because he just keeps reoccurring in all of Stephen Summers movies. And that's why he's there. And I get yep. it. You're right. He is. He is there as a comic relief Benny is funny. He mm-hmm. is kind of that comic relief character. And he's that sleazeball that you can't wait until they get their their comeuppance, right? Like exactly. you are just like waiting for it to happen. But he does it really well where you don't actually hate him. You know, you're not just it's not a, a Joffrey type character, Correct. right? Where you right. want to see him die a violent death. You're just like, I kind of hope that guy gets his. <laughs> yeah, like the whole movie, actually, I was kind of like even re-watching, I was like, oh. I wish they would have like killed him and zombified him so I could get that pleasure of knowing he got his comeuppance, but I still get to see him right, throughout right. the movie. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of, as I rewatch the movie, you're like, Oh cool. Arnold Voslo. Yeah. He's, he's from Pretoria, South Africa. Right. Um, you know, it's Eric, just, you've got like Eric Avari 
um, who is the the um, the librarian that's Rachel Weiss's uh, boss. Yeah, right. he's he's Indian, so like not Middle Eastern. Um, then the what's his name here? Oded, yeah, Oded Fair, who played Ardeth Bay. Um, mm-hmm. Some may remember him as the actual Gigolo in yep. Bruce. J- Bruce. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Um, my my hatred for Rob Schneider comes back to haunt me again. <laughs> but he's oh, oh, a dead fair is another. Well, and he's like in a few of the Resident Evil series, too. So he's just kind of the generic action guy that looks vaguely, I don't know, ethnic, I guess is a good way of putting it. it, it it's kind of like I hate to say it, but if you're if you're the bad guy in this or you're playing in a character from Egypt, you're in a 24 episode somewhere. Right. Like right. you appeared in 24 and actually yeah. I'm not wrong. All of those characters have <laughs> appeared in 24. That wasn't me just making an assumption. They have, I, I, I did some research. Yeah. And the, and the, the prison, uh, the, the, the head, the head of the prison that comes with them is Omid Jali, Jalili. Sorry. I can't, uh, couldn't pronounce that. Uh, he is so he's Iranian descent, but he was born in London. So he's doing his best, like stereotypical Middle Eastern accent in there. Although it's probably a little more warranted because he is actually of that descent. So you know, like there's, I guess, some stuff in there. But then the, I think the most egregious thing is Anaxuna Moon, right? The the main. The, yes. They're, they're trying to go through. That's um. Her that's Patricia Patricia Velasquez. She, she's. She's Mexican, I think. Oh, I better check on that. I should be not be. <laughs> um, she's she, she's not from the Middle East. Oh, sorry, Venezuelan. Sorry, my apologies. She is she is Venezuelan, but um, I knew her from Arrested Development. Yes, she's, <laughs> she's Marta, like hermano. Uh, it's just it's like she is just not Middle Eastern. She's she's Hispanic. She's Latina. Like seriously. Come on, guys. <laughs> They're just like, oh, you look somewhat tan. I guess you're going to be our new Egyptian person here. Like, what yeah. the fuck, guys? <laughs> so funny, funny thing about her. She was in the 1992 video for Breaking the Girl, Red yes, Hot Chili yes. Pepper. Yep. So if you if if my early 90s babies really just cannot get her out of her head, that's where she's from. Yeah, they're just it's it's a little white. Well, honestly, it's not even whitewashed. That's outside of Kevin J. O'Connor, you have people that are legitimately ethnic. Just not the right ethnicity is the problem. <laughs> which, as white people, we're just like, yeah, they're they're tanner than I am. We're probably okay. That's I don't think that's good. And then I, the the last person that I want to touch on too is John Hanna, who plays uh, Rachel Weiss's uh, brother in this, and I know him as one of the guys from Four Weddings and a Funeral. My parents used to watch that. I think we wore out the VHS for that, watching Hugh Grant stumble through a hilarious situation uh, going to funerals, which is, sounds weird, but it's true. And John Hanna is one of a, a is a very good character actor in there, too. And I think he's much more renowned in the UK than he is here in the US. But he shows up in these movies and he does a fine job as kind of the bumbling, you know, like ne'er do well. Right. Like he always seems to get everybody into trouble with his stupid antics of, in this case, stealing a map from Brendan Fraser. <laughs> exactly he and uh, he's very very much that like bumbling sidekick i mean you, mm-hmm. you you put it perfectly but he's also not an idiot like no. he's a smart he plays a smart man who knows things in this movie so it's not this like why are you bringing this idiot along who knows nothing about what you're doing like he's a smart person he knows what he's talking about it and just, what he's what he's got to an extent, right? I guess I, I misspoke. I said he stole the map, but he stole that key that from Brendan Fraser, and he's like brings it to Evie Rachel Weiss, um, and she is a scholar in all this, and they then like she confirms to him, yes, this is something that is of you know great importance. This is a nice artifact, and it's related to. Hamanaptra, the city Egyptian city of the dead, that is rumored to have a whole bunch of treasure there so they are going there to find it and they unearth the mummy's curse the mummy chases after them and kills brendan or is trying to kill brendan fraser and trying to kill off these other americans that are there searching for the treasure as well blah 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 blah. it's it's a ton of fun there's some great great set pieces in there um so absolutely and we also we did come full circle with uh a jonathan hyde on this one as well yep (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, the Perpetual Butler, or as we have previously discussed um, in Jumanji. He played mm-hmm. Sam Parrish's dad. He played the hunter, Van Pelt. Uh, but he's also, honestly, I will, no matter what I see him in, and he is in a lot, he will always be the butler from Richie Rich. Exactly. Um, Macaulay Culkin version, no matter what, no matter what he's in um that's that's all i got for him but uh it it was a very 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 star-studded cast Mm -hmm. when this movie star-studded in in character actors i guess we should say you know like none of these guys were probably ever like that huge because even if you look at some of the um the americans that are in there the Corey johnson has a couple of brief turns in things you would probably recognize him from like, Oh, he was in band of brothers briefly and a couple or um, not band of brothers. Sorry. Uh, Saving private Ryan. Cause I had just rewatched that not too long ago. He's one of those guys that you look at. He's just kind of the good all American looking guy and all the rest of these, you know, random Americans that are getting killed off. All that kind of stuff are just, you just end up knowing everyone in this movie and just being like, Oh yeah, he was in this. And you just, you know, it's, it's entertaining to see all these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's a great movie. It's, it's fun. It's for those who haven't seen it. Uh, basically they uncover a tomb. Uh, they release a mummy through some hijinks and through a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mummy comes back to, uh, I guess in a sense, reclaim a lost love, uh, of mm-hmm. that. He was, a big no, no love. And they kind of go through a, a hunt through the desert, if you will. And he is trying to rebuild himself. So when he comes back and this is important for later conversation, he's mm-hmm. a, he is a mummy. Oh yeah. He, he is a mummy. He, you can, you know, bandages, see through skulls, bones, uh, mm-hmm. bugs crawling through him. He is a mummy. Um, his job is to, or his goal is to collect the jars uh, from his tomb. And as he collects those and kills people who are holding them, he slowly rebuilds himself. Uh, he does become an actual person. Mm-hmm. Um, kidnaps Rachel Weiss uh, to essentially bring his lost love back. Patricia Vasquez, as we have uh, mentioned in the past, mm-hmm. but um, the goal for really in the end, obviously the, the do not win. Um but it's pretty overall a a fun adventure movie. I almost kind of liken this, and, and I don't know your thoughts, Zach, but would you liken this to more of a campy Indiana Jones? Yes. An so, Indiana Jones with more one-liners? Yeah, so I... I I think part of the reason why I enjoy this movie. So I, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? So a couple of things that are notable about this too, is it was, it was, it's pretty CGI heavy. The effects sometimes kind of hold up most of the time. They really don't. It's what you expect from 20 plus year old CGI, but at the time it was fucking mind blowing, right? Like you were watching this stuff. You're like, it's like the mummy's really alive, but I mean, absolutely. <laughs> And Steven Summers, the guy who directed this, is notorious for like trying to, he really wants to push the boundaries of some of these special effects. And as a person who really wants practical effects, there's part of me that really wants it, but there's also now this nostalgia for it. And the reason why I think it has the nostalgia for it, wrapping this around to what you were just talking about, is because part of the reason why I love it is because the, Steven Summers does this really great balance of making it this pulpy adventure flick in the vein of an Indiana Jones or a romancing the stone or something like that, right? Those adventure movies that are rooted deeply in the, the pulpy novels, the pulpy comics of the, like the forties and, uh, or even like radio dramas that they used to do where it's these cliffhangers of the swashbuckler who goes and, you know, just does everything. And he strikes a really good balance in this movie of making it goofy, making it campy. Um, the script does it really well where there's entertainment. There's good tete-a-tete where people are, you know, like doing stuff. There's some comedy, some quippy lines. And Brendan Fraser, as we've, you know, obviously discussed, is that perfect pulpy hero. He has that charisma, as I stated before. He has that good, those good looks. And he just, they, the movie feels like you're watching people in a, an offshoot in the Indiana Jones universe, right? Like you, you could, you would not be surprised to see Harrison Ford wander around in the background of one of these shots. And you're just like, all right. Yeah. Indy. Duh. That makes sense. Like, it's just, it does feel like it's not quite too, we're not talking like Spielbergian levels of, you know, this this isn't a movie of the same quality of the good Indiana Jones movies, 
but I'd put it on par with, I think it's better than the fourth one for sure. Possibly better than <laughs> Temple of Doom. I, mean, like, I think, I think that we're going to get there at some point. <laughs> that's for sure. This is, yeah. Indiana Jones is a, yeah, that's a well we haven't tapped yet and is definitely on our list of things to go after. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, this kind of takes place in the same time, a little bit right, earlier right, in yeah. the early 1920s, where obviously we're with Indiana Jones, we're talking more Nazi era Germany, but right, right. Um, this, it's very similar in kind of those campy one-liners. Um, mm-hmm. and But I think they even take it a step up, you know, where, you have Brendan Fraser, the the mummy, uh, first comes out and yells at Brendan Fraser, and he is just <laughs> yells back at just him, screams and incoherently <laughs> back at it. You know where? Yeah, that's funny, but, but that's nothing. That would not. That's not an Indiana Jones type funny, right? Um, and it's a lot of quippy one liners and things like that that you see throughout the movie, and it makes it fun. There's not a lot of blood. Mm-mm. There's not a there's death, but you don't see it. Um, right, right. There's scary parts jumping out. You know, my four year old did not want to watch this with me in certain scenes. Um, it, it's but there is there is a heavy CGI use in it. Mm-hmm. But this was also in a time when CGI was real. Like this level of CGI was new. I think the Mummy really kind of broke ground for a lot of CGI movies that we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, when as we always talk about, when I compare these, I look at comparing this, the effects to the time. And I think in 1999, this was top of the line effects. This um, was one of the big ones. One of the big things that they made a huge deal out of with this was there are a couple of scenes when they're being chased by the mummy and he's doing like a, he's creating a sandstorm and it's not Darude. Um, unfortunately, it is an actual sandstorm. And Arnold Vosloo's face, they mapped it using CGI and made it so that it looked like his face was coming at them in the sandstorm. This is one of the first big examples of that. They made a huge deal out of it. And then they used it to a less, less successful in The Mummy Returns when they mapped the rock's face onto the actual Scorpion King, which is kind of famed for how ludicrous it looks now. But again, at the time... It was, you know, these were big deals that they were actually taking a computer and digitally mapping somebody's face and projecting that into the effects. That is not something that had really, I mean, it had happened before, but this was where it was really starting to break through. So it is, you know, cool in that regard that they used it like that. Yep. Yep. And I know I've read um, in the past too, uh, people like Peter Jackson attribute this movie and even that effect right there to Lord of the Rings, which just came out a few years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it where obviously they used a ton of that uh, for yeah. Gollum's character. And it's, this was really new technology for the time. And it was really cool. I remember seeing this in the theater, just being bl- absolutely blown away at what mm-hmm. I was seeing. Uh, and then, but just all I can remember is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the movie was, even, I mean, there's a ride at universal studios for this movies to this day. It is still there. Um, and I mean, again, you go into the movie and it's Brendan Fraser, young Brendan Fraser talking. I mean, this they haven't updated. That's how popular this movie was um, and still is to this day. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is. It, I just had fun watching it again. It was great to go back and just sit down and be like, I think I like this movie, but I haven't watched it in a while. Let's see if it held up. And again, the CGI, it's it's quaint. It's nice. It's fun to think like, yeah, at one point that was really amazing. It's the same as going back and looking at an old computer game or video game that you used to play on like a PS1. And you're like, oh, my. Oh, man, this was like mind blowing at the at the time. But, you know, it's the the acting still holds up. The, the direction still holds up. It's fun. You can tell what's going on. The action sequences are great. The the uh, the storyline is actually coherent. Like they everybody everybody plays their role well and nobody for as much as they are going with pretty broad strokes and you know, pretty weird caricatures of people. Nobody feels like they are overstepping it. Nobody feels like they're overdoing it. Everybody feels in place and everybody's playing the roles. And this is just how you would be like, yeah, I could see this as a, a real universe, right? This is a, a place that I could see myself being an extra in and going like, yeah, this is, this is an interesting, like feels fleshed out. And that's not something that you can say about everything. Maybe the other movie that we watched too. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, You did touch on something that I think is definitely worth noticing uh, about the sequel. There were three of these mummy movies, but the sequel 
the sequel, The Scorpion King, that was, I mean, that that movie gifted us, and I do use that term lightly, but it gifted <laughs> us Dwayne Johnson. That's true. Um, his, that was his, The Mummy Returns was his big uh, like breakout as playing The Scorpion King, and then he got his own vehicle in The Scorpion King. But I remember, I remember being a kid again, this second, I wasn't a kid at this time, really. I was in high school, but I remember Scorpion King coming out. They, they, it was not Dwayne Johnson. It was the rock. Oh, yeah. I just remember, I even laugh at this to this day. I remember sitting there and thinking, what the actual fuck are they going to put do with rock as an actor? Right. And uh, I mean, I am eating those words now. Like I am, I, uh, that was a, that was a wrong comment to make at the time, but yeah, um, yeah, th- this, this franchise kind of introduced us to Dwayne Johnson. It did. As an it actor. Did. And it, and it's funny that you bring it up because there were, there are three mummy movies. As I said, there was mummy, the mummy returns, which is where Scorpion King is. And then there's mummy, the dragon emperor or whatever it is. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, it had, um, I can't think of his name right now. Was it Jet Li? It was Jet Li. Thank you. Yeah, it was Jet Li was in it. Um, and then it, the the Scorpion King got his own spinoff movie. And then there were actually three more Scorpion King movies made, none of which feature Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it. And I think all of them went straight to video. And one of them, the hilarious thing is, one of them is a <laughs> prequel to the spinoff to the sequel to The Mummy. So if you think about that, that is just like so many layers deep. And if we wanted to, I feel like we could do an entire episode just discussing the Scorpion King series because that's a that's a whole lot of layers. And I'm going to tell you right now, having seen only one of those sequels, um, it's none of them are necessary because I've heard I've seen the good sequel, the uh, Scorpion King 2 Rise of a Warrior. And um, oof, I can't see it going downhill, but apparently it did. Yeah, I stopped. I'll be honest. I stopped after Scorpion King. I was like, okay, this is this is all I need of this series right now. I'm good. Yeah, I should have, but I didn't. Sometimes curiosity gets the best of us. (laughs) (laughs) We're not here to talk about the Scorpion King series. We're here to talk about the fucking mummy. Um, So. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this. I the the movie is is just so much fun. Um, it, it was a really nice thing for me. I think even if you didn't have nostalgia for this movie, like we obviously do, it still holds up as a movie to just go in there and just be like, "Hey, do you want to have fun for whatever an hour and a half or so?" Because it it just is. It's entertaining. It's good. Like you said, quippy, funny. Brendan Fraser. I just. I will I will go to my grave saying that I like him as an actor and I don't really care if people don't because they're wrong. He's just great. He's just great. Uh, if you haven't read it, whether you're listening or you, uh, Zach. Oh, I, G- I've read it. I know exactly okay. what you're going to cite right now. <laughs> yeah, G- GQ did a great article on him a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The reporter went out to his ranch, uh, just kind of talked about everything. And he's led a very interesting life. Um, I... I feel bad for him. I feel like he got burnt out. Um, there was some allegations as well. And um, I I, I, I want to see more of him. I, I really, really, really want to see more of him. He had a role in a movie that I just threw on um, called Gimme Shelter. And he played this dad of... Um, I can't even remember her name at this point. Uh, she's one of those Disney queens. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens. Thank yep. you. Um, anyway, it, it's a fantastic movie. It's more recent for him. Uh, mm-hmm. I know he's done some other things. Uh, yeah, Trust, he's, on Doom, he's on Doom Patrol right now, if anybody's watched that, which is actually, I've only watched a couple episodes, but it's pretty entertaining in terms of like, you know, TV series. That's again, furthers my point that I want to see him in more things. I want, I want that, that guy back. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, you know, I've talked about him a couple of times too. Um, Steven Summers was the guy who directed this too. He has a, he's, he's an up and down director, I think is a good way of putting it. I really liked um, his movie called deep rising, which is like a fun, weird, 90s horror movie um it's entertaining as hell it's about people that go to uh what rob a cruise ship and then it turns out that it's been overtaken by a giant tentacle monster it's just as weird as it sounds it's great 
Um, and then he did this, uh, and then the movie returns. And then he did, uh, he did, ended up doing G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra, uh, which is actually kind of entertaining. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for that one. It's pretty entertaining. And then he's got a couple other ones that I want to just bring up really briefly. One being a movie called Odd Thomas. It is not a great movie, but it is actually noteworthy in that it's one of the last, if not the last, fully uh, realized uh, uh, performances of Anton Yelchin, Yelkin, Yelchin, whatever his name is, um, who died unfortunately, you know, very young. So Odd uh, Thomas is it's kind of entertaining. It's a it's a decent fun movie. Uh, and then I want to talk about Van Helsing <laughs> because. <laughs> Van Helsing, just just to touch on that one, um, is another movie that he was like cl- very clearly trying to recreate what he had with the two mummy movies that he had directed to this point and make that kind of pulpy, weird thing. And what ended up coming out of it was a movie that would, you know, that would fail to give a, a good starring role to our, you know, everybody's favorite Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, but did kind of, you know, allow him to maybe show that he could carry the movie a little bit. I don't know. Van Helsing is one of these weird ones where it's a hot mess, but it's kind of my hot mess. I kind of enjoy it still. I don't know what your feelings are on it, but I wanted to hear what you thought. It's, it's okay. I think it's a lot. And I think it's what, ah, uh, it's kind of like the mummy that we're gonna talk about. Yeah. Um, only not shitty. Uh, <laughs> It's it's not a I don't I don't dislike it. I'm more indifferent. If it comes on, sure, I'll watch it. I'll be honest, not a huge Kate Beckinsdale fan. Uh she's good eye candy. She is not a good actress. Um not even that for me. Like just no. No, I I didn't like Underworld and it mostly because of her. Um Yeah. Nah. I'm just not a huge fan. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Anyway, Stephen Summers, he's uh, he, he's he's up and down. He he, I I like him as a director. He's he's fine, but uh, he's got. I wouldn't say that he he's he knows pretty well that his milieu, his area is just like if I can make some pretty fun, stupid, don't think too hard about these movies. Every once in a while, he can go out and get one of those, and you can watch it and just be like, yeah. I actually enjoyed that. And I think he, I think he probably peaked here with the mummy uh, being his best one of the examples of that. And he's kind of just been trying to recreate that same feeling ever since to varying degrees of success, but he's entertaining. He's a, uh, he's a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing. I'll probably, you know, like check out if he ever does anything again. Yeah, they were fine. Like I said, I wasn't, I will, I'd rather watch G.I. Joe than Van Helsing, to be really honest with you. Oh, yeah. Well, his yeah, because he, he directed the second one, The Rise of the Cobra. It's actually a pretty entertaining movie. It's not great. I mean, it's a G.I. Joe movie, but, you know, it's I think it's the better of the two G.I. Joe movies. Yeah. For what yeah. it's worth. <laughs> well, um, we've been talking a lot about this movie, what it's about. But, uh, you know, and we loved it in 1999. But, Paul, did you? Happen to look up any of the box office stuff to give us an idea of just you know like what how well this did did was it a hit at the time did we did we do okay how, how do you I feel I did I did and and just a fun fact about this it was a humongous hit it was such a biggest hit that the director got a phone call the next day after its release from the studio saying and I quote we need another one. <laughs> This movie cost again 1999, 22 years ago, mm-hmm. 80 million dollars. Yep. Uh, that's a lot of million dollars. That's a mm-hmm. lot of million. <laughs> uh, opening weekend, just the opening weekend, did 40, did over 43 million dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's great. That's just in the USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, grossed in the USA, we were at about a, a little over 155 million, but worldwide gross. For a movie made in 1999 was over $409 million. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely put this up in the success category. Really, no matter how crappy the other ones end up being, if you can spawn a series and a a six-part movie spinoffs of this, the, it did well, guys. Like, it did really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely... Uh... 
definitely caught on and, and did well. And they were able to, to green light that pretty quickly. And it, um, you know, top movies for 99, it didn't crack that because if anybody remembers that year, that was star Wars episode one, the phantom menace, which was of course huge. Uh, the sixth sense also came out that year. Toy story Two, the matrix. I mean, like you just, he, he wasn't going to crack it, but it was still, like you said, big hit definitely happened to, you know, like really, really crush it out there. Um, it was not super well received by critics, 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. They generally liked it, but the audience liked it 75% there. So, you know, it, it, it did well. I think, I think it was good. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, now that we've, uh, we've talked about that, this is gonna, it's gonna bring us to the mummy 2017. Yeah, I know. We I made us do this. I don't think that I don't remember <laughs> that you made us do this. Um, it was sheer morbid curiosity uh, that because I was never going to watch this otherwise. So it was like, well, I'm going to just watch this. And I was immediately reminded of just what I was in for when I hit play. And the first thing that pops up is the Universal logo and then the Dark Universe logo. Oh, because my gosh. If you don't remember, for those of you guys listening, this is about the time in 2017 when Universal was trying to launch a shared universe of all their original Universal monster movies. Uh, so they actually kind of soft started it with a movie called Dracula Untold, which didn't do super hot. Uh, and then they were like, well, I think we can, if we put some star vehicle behind this, we can really get it moving. So they, we, they were so brash and so bold to even make up their own uh, logo and put it right at the beginning of it. And this was supposed to spawn then things like, oh, we'll get a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde movie. We'll get a Wolfman movie, which they had already done previously, but they wanted to, you know, incorporate it. We'll get a, probably a, a different Dracula movie, that kind of stuff like that. They really wanted to bring it all together. So yeah, I just started laughing when I saw that come up and was like, oh, cool. This will be this will be really good. This will be really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> then it kicks in a couple of notes about this. Like this movie right away from the beginning is letting you know exactly what you're in for. There is a, I don't know what, 30 second scene with some medieval knights and they bury a jewel uh, with somebody in a coffin. And then it just stops and you're like, cool and it just says like in the in the subtitles it says like 1127 ad england you're like okay and then it open and then it after that it immediately cuts to modern day london which you find out again in a subtitle and they are they're drilling into this tomb uh, to uncover these you know like uh, medieval knights final resting place and you're just like yeah you could have just opened with that shot i didn't need to see for two seconds that these knights buried somebody here i could probably get that from all the coffins and things around there and then if you didn't really need to you know if you needed more explanation which you probably do they just go ah you know what we'll just let russell crow talk over this in a voiceover and then they actually flash back to holy shit the story of the uh, the egyptian like story that you're going to get about the mummies and then 10 minutes after that happens, they flash back to the first scene again with the knights burying somebody. So in the first like 40 minutes of the movie, you get voiceover exposition and at least three flashbacks, including one of which is a fucking you're, you're watching a clip show after one episode. Like, what the fuck are, were they thinking? They're just like, hey, did you not understand this? Can you get this from context? No. OK, cool. Here it is again. Explained to you by Russell Crowe. Oh. It's, it was just so convoluted and back and forth. I think I texted you immediately after starting this being like, ah, <laughs> what? And I had to give it some minutes, um, a lot of minutes until it got rolling. But it just, I don't know. It, again, the, this whole movie just, hey, okay, I'm going to start off. She's not a mummy. She's not. Like mm. a mummy at all. No, she's like a, a zombie. Maybe. No, she's a vampire. She sucks the life out of people. What is she? She's something undead, I guess. She's something uh, undead, but she's 100% not a mummy. There's kind of some jokes in there, mostly related to or involved with inflating Tom Cruise's ego. Mm -hmm. 
actually, and let me rephrase. If you want the plot to this movie, it's Tom Cruise's ego gets bigger. If I mean, if you want the then, plot to this movie, here's what I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, it's The Mummy 1999, but with Tom Cruise instead of Brendan Fraser. And now that's pretty much it. And, and, and all the humor sucked out of it, I guess I should say. And, uh, and, and CGI that is pretty much the exact same as it was in 1999. The CGI was terrible, terrible CGI for, again, a movie that was made pretty recently, 2017. I'm expecting Marvel quality. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put this much money, this many characters, you're going to throw Tom Cruise into it. I'm expecting something pretty extravagant when it comes to CGI. And it was garbage. I have this movie had a budget to do it, right? Give me a couple of prosthetics, you know, make, make it so that at one point she's got a, like a big wound on her cheek as she's reconstituting herself and they zoom in on it. And there's so many close-ups of her doing that. And it's so obviously CGI. It's like, dude, you couldn't have just had some, you know, makeup person for four minutes, just apply a fucking party city wound to the side of her face and give it some blood effects and just make that it would have looked better. I mean, exactly, exactly. It's, I don't know. I get, I go back to, if you look at the cast list difference between Mm -hmm. the two, there, there's a lot of really good looking people. Yes. In this movie. Like Mm -hmm. you look at the cast from the other one. No, it's, they look like real human beings who should be in this. This is all in my, I, I have written several notes and all of them just revolve around Tom Cruise's ego. Tom Cruise won't be in a movie with anybody who's not beautiful. Uh, again, that's why I, I, my opinion is, and from various sources have said that Tom Cruise kind of came in and took over things on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just doesn't, it looks like nobody had fun with this mm-hmm. and you talk about humor. I got excited because right off the bat, Jake Johnson, Jake Johnson. Yep. is Tom Cruise's <laughs> assistant. So I was like, okay, cool. We're going to have some fun here. It's, it's not, it's not, he's not fun. He's not funny. And I like, I like Jake Johnson a lot in small, in small doses and roles. I think my favorite movie moment with him is Jurassic Park, the new world or the Jurassic world where he just plays. He's in it for five minutes and Mm -hmm. every moment he's in it is great. Yeah. He's, he's wearing the Jurassic Park t-shirt and is like, yeah, no, it's, it's vintage. It's it's a throwback, you know? Yeah. yeah, No, I know it's sad. You know, people died. Yeah. I know. It's it's just, well, and like, I like, I, I like new girl just fine. I'm not a huge fan of it, but he's definitely in my mind, the best part of it because he's kind of a, just a complete whack job in it. It, I enjoy him. Um, He is awesome. Is the, his voice work, I guess is awesome in, uh, into the spider verse. Like he's, Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Great in that. Perfect casting for that. And in this one, he's, they're trying to get him to do it. You can tell they're just like feeding him lines because it's just him just basically shouting at Tom Cruise, uh, you know, why did I let you, why did I let you talk me into this? Oh my God, you do this to me every time. And it's like, well, yeah, but every joke are so cliche. Well, yeah, I was going to say, these are all just so hackneyed. It just wasn't, there's, you, you didn't buy, they're supposed to be in the army together doing reconnaissance and you didn't buy for one. I don't buy for a second that Jake Johnson and Tom Cruise are the same age. Cause there's almost 20 years difference between the two of them Two, I didn't buy that. They liked each other really at all. And that they had worked together for a while that they had any sort of bond and three, it just didn't work. Cause he just didn't have any good lines. It didn't fit the tone of the movie. Nothing about it really worked and it sucked. <laughs> I, I, I attribute it and I, I could be wrong. I don't know, but it's kind of hard to play that character next to Tom Cruise. It is. And it's just from what all accounts that are out there about this man, he just doesn't look like he's there to have fun. Yeah. So, I mean, as a quick plot, uh, he and Tom Cruise are in the middle of nowhere. They're trying to they're basically they're treasure hunters uh, that are also army people. And they're just like flying all over the world to try to steal shit. And they end up uncovering some ancient Egyptian, you know, like 
tomb, which is where they bring back the mummy. The mummy curses them, causes this big uh, plane wreck that everybody dies in, except for Tom Cruise somehow still lives through it. The plane crash scene, by the way, the one engaging part of the movie, I think. And I did look it up. They did actually film it in the Vomit Comet, that big uh, plane that, you know, like flies in the parabolic arcs to make it zero G. So that also actually made one made it look interesting. Actually, it was kind of visually cool to watch them really fly around in zero G. That was neat. Uh, two made me so angry because they spent I bet a ton of money doing that to shoot in that thing, and they couldn't have again just used some sort of practical fucking effects instead of paying for CGI. Jesus Christ! Like just Tom, oh. Tom Cruise won't do it, man. I mean, uh, I mean it's, it goes right in line with the with his Mission Impossible movies, his right. Jack Reacher movies. He wants big stunts. He wants to show people that he's not in his late fifties. Oh yeah. Uh, well, there's a scene where Russell Crowe calls him boy, and I'm like, dude, he's two years older than you. And <laughs> he, you look ninety, Russell Crowe, but you're he, younger. And again, it's it. I think it's as Tom Cruise just needs to go out there and prove to the world that he is still a child. Right. Um. You're not at all. Uh, again, we're, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the new Top Gun and I'm going to get to reiterate all of this more about my displeasure (laughs) with Tom Cruise. Um, it's nobody looked like they were having fun. There's Russell Crowe who plays Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde. Spoiler alert there. That's meant to be some big reveal that he's fucking Dr. He said that in the first he says it in like midway through the movie. I'm Doc or I'm Henry Jekyll or yeah. And you're and like this was, again like the the attempt to make it this dark universe type of thing, right? <laughs> which again, if you don't know, failed because this movie was so bad. Mm-hmm. They they scrapped it. They had this whole plan. They were going to do a Dracula and a werewolf and Frankenstein. They just said, "Now we're this was." I don't think this movie was so bad. I don't think there's any coming back from it. Right. And, you know, eventually they figure out that they, they capture the mummy because she's, so she imprints on, it's, it's a flip of when I say that this is basically the mummy 1999's rehashed plot. It really is because in this case, I mean, they did flip it in that they have uh, Aminet, who is a woman mummy who is trying to, bring use Tom Cruise as a vessel to bring back her lost lover after she killed the Pharaoh. Like everything happens in these two movies. It's pretty, pretty much the same, except then they do some American werewolf in London stuff with Jake Johnson's ghost haunting Tom Cruise throughout the movie. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's basically the same plot. Then they capture her. She ends up of course breaking out and then they have to try She tries to bring Tom Cruise back and he has to do the, you know, Try attempted heroic sacrifice that he's gonna, you know, leave her to die. They end up killing the mummy. I don't know. Shit happens. It's not very entertaining. I was bored as all hell during this movie. Really I actually just- wrote a note saying I I I took time out of watching this movie to write a note that says I have never checked time remaining on a movie this much <laughs> in my entire life I think of watching movies where this is possible but I just constantly kept being like how much more is is this done yet? Right. I have I have literally needles to poke in my eye that is more fun than watching this for a minute longer. Yeah, I mean, like at one point they talk about the ceremonial dagger that they have to get, and they're like, "Oh, they broke it into pieces to protect, uh, you know, themselves from it or whatever." Uh, when they say broke it into pieces, they mean they took a stone out of the handle, and that's it. It is fully intact, and then they have to just put the jewel from the beginning of the movie into it. And then it's together again. I don't know about you, that's not broken into pieces. That's like you know, loosely jiggled out a stone. It's not a fucking. It's it's just uh, the whole movie just isn't good. Like I really, there's some cool stunts. The CGI isn't good. Where they they over CGI'd it because even in the as much as we've talked about the 1999 mummy and the CGI, there was still some good practical effects in there. Um, not in this one. Um, not at all. Uh, yeah. There was, there is a difference. Uh, so the 1999 mummy, they were not allowed to film in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was political unrest going on there. They're, they just could not f- do it. Um, 
So there were scenes where, yes, should they have had real shots of the pyramids? Yeah, it wasn't going to happen, though. Not so much in the case with this, where they could have filmed in Egypt. They did film some, but they still just use this CGI backgrounds that Mm. didn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's like, I mean, this whole the whole script of the whole movie is just it, it feels like it's the first draft of a script that somebody went through and nobody, everybody was like, Hey, you know, this is a good direction for the movie. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, let's go back in and add subtext to it later. And then nobody did. Cause there is only text. It is only on the, the, on the surface. Everything is there. Like at the very end of it, again, spoilers for this, but Jake Johnson is brought back to life uh, by Tom Cruise in the end, because he's magical, whatever. But uh, he literally just says, I really like that. You brought me back to life and everything. And it's like, could could you have tried to maybe do that a little more subtly? But nope, they just yeah. We better spell this out for everybody just to understand that. Yeah, he's 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 fucking alive again, and it's yeah. yeah don't even get me started on plot holes. So the movie kind of starts out. They find this mummy. It's supposed to be like sealed. Like right. don't ever open this. It's in the bottom of this mercury. Yeah, yeah it's a mercury, mercury cover. It's in a mercury pit. The thing has a quick release. Like, why was it counterweighted? Yeah, Tom Cruise like nudges it and it just like flips up. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it was that hard, like, should this really have just like a quick, like, like little flip of the switch and off balance and comes right up? No, it should be a lot harder than that. So there were things that did not make sense to me. Yeah, they, the whole point of that, I actually took a couple of notes on that too, which made no sense. Is like they uh, they think they say that mercury was used by the Egyptians to ward off evil or something like that. So they took this evil woman that they subjected and mummified alive and did all this crazy shit like that. They submerge her sarcophagus in a pool of mercury to supposedly you know like suppress the evil or whatever like that. Only they build it so that the that it's it's under the mercury. But it's held by chain in chase by in, in place by chains that are on a pulley system and counterweighted to lift it out of the mercury if Tom Cruise accidentally bumps something or kicks something. And it's like, why would you, wouldn't you want to weight it down, not weight it so that it can be lifted right out of it? What was the point of that? There's there's no point to that. They just somebody thought it looked cool, I'm sure. Just I, anyway. Yeah. What I want to bring up. Uh, before we get into any of the uh, financials with this and anything else like that, is that uh, I've said it a couple of times now that they basically just rehashed the plot to The Mummy, but I started to look at it a little bit more and I wanted to bring this up, took some notes on it. Um, This is, I was expecting this to just be like, hey, we made a mummy movie and we, you and I, Paul, we're going to talk about the 1999 version and this one and be like, they're based off of the same like mummy myth or whatever. But as I started to look at it a little bit more, this is, I think, more of a a reboot or remake of this than I would have ever guessed because they both open with a voiceover narration of being told what happened. Like I said, they flipped the gender roles, but it was basically a, you know, ancient Egyptian person betrays the Pharaoh, gets punished by being mummified alive and cursed, and then is brought back and is trying to find their lover to bring them back as well. It's weird. So then they also start to try to replicate the tone like we said there in the 2017 version it fails pretty horrifically but they did try to inject some of that like feeling of of comedy in there the uh the they both have a weird uh facial wound as they're recon they have to like absorb other people's life essence to reconstitute themselves fully which is kind of going through like that um the uh big change that i saw was in that uh the 1999 version when the woman in the ancient egypt is uh kills herself uh it's she's taking agency over why the pharaoh doesn't get to have her the 2017 uh just makes her the bitch be crazy like she's a crazy woman you know it's like it's kind of dumb you just took away you we've we've regressed since 1999 apparently yeah uh, it wasn't a cheating spouse you find out it's his daughter <laughs> that know, right? the baby and the wife and him and it, it, she just wanted power it's just it's fucked up then there's this mysterious society that knows about the monsters but hides in the shadows in the uh, 1999 version it's the uh the the 
the Pharaoh's protectors, the Pharaoh's guards. And this one, it's Russell Crowe being Dr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Uh, and, you know, he runs this whole society that they know about this stuff. And then if you look at the characters, they're even like replicating all of that. So like uh, you have Tom Cruise. He is a brash American like criminal that is, you know, in, in a part of the armed forces because Brendan Fraser's character was part of the French Foreign Legion and fought with that in the first one. So like he's very clearly supposed to be this, you know, pulpy action hero that they were trying to recreate. Then you go into the, you have a creepy mummy chick uh, who is, you know, like in there that is played by a vaguely, um, you know, ethnic looking woman. You have Jake Johnson, who is the shitty henchman that basically betrays them. He is the Benny analog, right? Like he is the guy that is like just kind of whiny and comedy. You have a female lead who is a British scholar that is an expert in Egyptian lore. And it's like, it just, I can keep going, but they just, they basically just, they literally did take like the night, the mummy. And even down to, I don't know if you noticed it, Paul, but at one point the uh, lead woman in the 2017 mummy hits a guy in the face with a book to get away from him. And it's the Egyptian book of the dead from the 1999 version, which was a nice little like nod that they put in there, but it's the same exact prop book that they had. And it's like, they're trying so hard to be the 1999 mummy to the point that they, I think literally were just actually trying to remake this and did it poorly. Again, I just thought they were going to tell a mummy story and it was going to share a name, but they really just watched that and were like, could we do this again? Maybe, but with a worse director and a worse star, a worse director, worse star, not make it funny, not make it fun. Um, it's it, it was everything wrong for for me. It was mm-hmm. it was everything wrong. Um, I think I mean, they the, budget wise, again, we're looking at 80 million for the last one. This was one hundred and twenty five million dollars mm-hmm. um, almost 20 years later. So 18, 18 years later. Uh, this movie opening weekend did just over 31 million. That is 12 million less than the original mummy that came out again, 18 years later, mm-hmm. gross USA only 80 million. Again, comparison was 155. Now cumulative worldwide gross is almost the exact same, if not a little bit more with a little over 409 million. Mm-hmm. Um, this this was not well received in the theater. Nope. Uh, in fact, again, as I had mentioned, they scrapped a lot of big, big plans that Universal had to compete. This was supposed to be their competition to Marvel and Marvel DC. Cinematic. Yep. Yep. This was their this was their Marvel Cinematic or DC Universe. This was it. And it failed horribly. Yeah, it it didn't make nearly enough money. It it did it lost money in the US, like you said, worldwide. It made a bit more, but it just didn't do nearly as well as they wanted. It ended up number twenty-three uh for the year. Twenty seventeen was weirdly enough, another Star Wars year. It was the last Jedi this time as the top. And then Beauty and the Beast, The Fate of a Furious, Despicable Me Three, and uh weirdly enough, number five that year was Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. If we uh remember we did one of those guys a few, we did. A few months ago. <laughs> But it, yeah, they, it just it was not well received. Then, on um, you know, in terms of the critics, it has a critical score of sixteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes and an audience score of thirty five percent. So nobody liked this movie. <laughs> it just it was not well received. It did not make that much money. It was an exercise in tedium. And let's get into the fucking breakdown of how this compares to the 1999 let's do it let's do it if we look at the cast i mean if it isn't abundantly clear the cast of the two movies i have to give it to 99 even though 2017 might have more star power than the the 99 99 just 99 uh acting better in 99 99 wins it 99 wins i mean yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah oh how about the direction and script what do you what do you think about that paul uh what did prince say oh 99 yeah 99. i think i have to agree with you on that how about a production value okay so this is usually where we come to a crossroads um where we may like a movie an older movie more um but the newer movie tends to generally just be better for finances technology all of the above still going with 1999 (laughs) 
Yep, they somehow regressed CGI over the last 20 years, and it looks like dog shit. And this was like their category to win for me. I was like, okay, like the first one's good. <laughs> I had heard the second one was really bad. So I was like, well, at least it'll be visually cool. Mm-hmm. It, it It's ni- 1999. That's it. Yep. <laughs> and, oh man, this will be a tough one. But what about enjoyment value? Which one did you enjoy more? Mm, 1999. Oh, weird. Me too. That's uh, That's very strange. Uh, so, uh, you got, Paul, before we, before we ask, of course, the question that this podcast is based off of, what, what are your final thoughts on, uh, on these couple of movies? Any, any, any last little notes you'd like to pass along? No, I really, really do, did have fun rewatching, um, and kind of reliving the first mummy. If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. If you like Brendan Fraser, watch more of his movies. I honestly, I was just happy to watch a Brendan Fraser movie. Um, and Suck it, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Indeed, suck it, Tom Cruise. I, I I can't agree with you more. It was a blast to actually go back and rewatch this. It was a lot of fun to, um, you know, to actually have it confirmed that I really liked the Mummy and was correct in liking the money. The Mummy. It was, you know, I, I was worried that I was not going to enjoy it and is still there. And I guess now my curiosity is is satiated. I know how the 2017 Mummy movie goes. If you ever want to watch Russell Crowe turn purple as a signifier of him turning into Mr. Hyde, I guess, watch this. It is the most purple I've ever seen Russell Crowe. I think that's the best I can say about it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Paul, we've, we've got to ask, because it's right there in the title, Mummy 2017, was it really necessary? No, no, it just wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it could have been again had they not tried to recreate this. Had they had, the, I think the dark world, the dark universe, or dark universe, could have been cool. I, 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 I was generally kind of excited about it. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, this movie should not have been made. No, no. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think the rumors are that the dark universe has just been like quote unquote shelved for a bit and that we may see it eventually. I God help me if they can figure something out better than this, maybe I'd go watch it. But uh, this was just, this was a slog. And I think, you know, I'm looking back on the other movies that we've watched here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, the mummy 2017, I think is the worst movie we've watched for this podcast, at least in my mind. And we've watched some doozies. I made you watch cabin fever and and I think this is worse. This, the only thing that could have made this worse was if you put Rob Schneider in it. Oh, maybe he has like a, a guest and he was one of the mummies. In the no, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is 100% the worst one we've watched. That's fair. All right. Well, it sounds like we did not think this one was very necessary. And uh, those those were some good thoughts for us. But for those of you that uh, have never heard this before, or for those of you that uh, that have, this is a fun time for us because at the end of every episode, <laughs> uh, we get to choose what the next episode is to this. And we trade off every other time. And it is revealed to the other person for the first time, uh, I guess, quote unquote, live here in the podcast. So it was my turn uh, last time to choose the mummy i subjected paul to this so now i'm curious paul you get to reveal to me what do you have for me to actually be subjected to and did you did you pick the appropriate revenge for me making you watch that piece of shit i did i did this is this is this is my revenge uh but partially this is because i've been home for a while Mm -hmm. um i've been watching a lot of netflix uh Mm -hmm. We just finished the Queen's Gambit or mm-hmm. have, I think one more episode, but I've been watching because my wife wants nothing to do with this something in the side. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a YouTube show for two seasons uh, and then got moved over. Oh, to Netflix. No so, uh, oh, we're sweeping the fucking leg, Johnny. <laughs> um, we are going to watch Karate Kid. Uh-huh. We are going to watch a glorious Ralph Macho. <sighs> Uh, but then we are going to follow up. Uh, this is your comeuppance. We're going to do the Will Smith or the 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 Smith kid the and Jackie Chan. Oh yeah, we're doing it. 
Um, you're gonna make you're gonna make me watch. Uh, oh, what the Willow is the girl and Jaden is Jaden. I think Jayden. it is. Yeah, we're gonna yeah we're gonna giddy up, man. Uh, we're gonna watch. We're gonna do the Karate Kid. Um, I I if for those who do watch this or, or listen, um, I I I am gonna be referencing some Cobra Kai in there. If you haven't <sighs> watched it, you should. Okay, I do. I have been curious about that, but uh, have held off on it. You're really gonna you're gonna make me want. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Especially because you know Net- Netflix just dropped all three of the originals. Oh really? All right. Yeah. Well, I'll have to I'll have to figure that out. Well, I guess fuck you very much. But I had that. <laughs> <going>. uh, <laughs> I really hope everybody enjoyed listening to it. There, I'm sure are dozens of you out there that will enjoy this, and most of them will be our family members. So that's uh, always a good feeling to do this. But uh, Sorry, hopefully, Mom. you guys enjoyed this as much as, as we did, or at least enjoyed ranting about it. Um, from everybody here at Was That Really Necessary? I am Zach Buell. And I am Paul Wax on Wax Off Abishan. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys later. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys.